0: welcome welcome everybody it is time for another episode of demented cast i am your host demented gamer uh running solo um this feels weird (laughs) the last time i recorded an episode was back in july of 2020 it's the one that released last month it has my last of us Two review and i'm not gonna lie it took me so long to release it because i just wasn't feeling it um i don't want to when I started this podcast, I was like, I don't want to force episodes. Um, I want to do them at my own leisure, at least for the start. Um, that way, it, for you, it feels like a more genuine experience listening rather than I'm just p- pushing out con- content. I'm using air quotes, pushing out content to uh, get views and stuff. So, yeah, that's why it took so long to release that one. Before that, the only one I released it in 2020 was of course the one with my Jedi Fallen Order review um and yeah so we are back I feel much better I know exactly what I want this podcast to be Uh, I have decided that I will start streaming more on Twitch Uh, I will probably start producing some kind of YouTube content uh in the near future I'm not quite sure what I want that to be yet so just keep an eye out for that um really to get any kind of update when I'm streaming uh, when I'm getting ready to record a new podcast um, whenever that YouTube content hits or other things that I hope to have coming down the pipeline this year um, one of which should be coming by at least fall of 2021 if everything goes according to plan Uh, just follow me on Twitter at demented gamer that's gamer with a six instead of a G Um, Follow me there. That's where I'll be updating everything. And yeah, without further ado, let's get into episode 12 of Demented Cast. Uh, The first thing I want to talk about this episode, or the first few topics I want to talk about, are in the film and TV area. And a lot of this is honestly going to be pretty old news. Um, Beginning of the year, we don't get a lot of news for really anything So, I have some stuff that was announced last month um, to talk about, because I planned on doing an episode sooner, and I just didn't feel like it. I also wanted to wait until I beat Assassin's Creed Valhalla to do my review as a returning episode. So, that being said, and then with that out of the way, we are going to get into this show, because we have a lot to talk about. I got two reviews for you, actually, on this returning episode, episode 12, Um, Valhalla and I played Miles Morales. I do plan on actually doing a review of Ghost of Tsushima because I beat that way back in October and I actually am dying to talk about it. I was going to put it on this episode but I'm actually going to save it for a special episode that hopefully will be out this uh, weekend. But anyways, the first topic I want to talk about is the fact Warner Bros or Warner Media announced last month that their entire 21 or 2021 theatrical release will be available on hbo max and on or and in theaters um this year this came as a shock for a lot of people including myself i didn't see them making this big of a move i expected us to see some of maybe their smaller movies i expected to see movies like mortal Kombat and stuff hit hbo max instead of getting a theatrical and one of the reasons they actually they they caught some hate for this and one of the reasons they got hate for this move was the fact that not only did they just kind of blindside the public but they also blindsided directors writers cast about this the only people reportedly when this news broke the only people that knew about it were um Godot and patty jenkins from wonder woman 1984 they were given i believe it was a million dollars and yeah, most other most other filmmakers did not know about this move. They were not compensated for this move, and it it just felt really scummy. I I I like the move because I thought it was okay, because we're still dealing with COVID. We're gonna be dealing with COVID nineteen until twenty twenty two, and you know I even after I get the vaccine at some point this year, whenever that is available to the general public, or like more doses are available to the general public um i still don't know if i'm gonna feel 100% comfortable going to movie theaters again and doing everything like we used to do it like things are not just going to go back to normal um once everybody gets this vaccine and so i thought this was a smart move but i did hate the fact that they just blindsided all their talent with this move um It is now being reported that they have talked to certain directors and writers. Uh, They have also talked to the people that own Kong vs. Godzilla. And that will still be releasing on HBO Max and in theaters. Movies like Dune might not be. That's still being talked about. And so, with with this, I just want to say, like, this is cool, yet... I just wish Warner Bros. would have given everybody a heads up. They would have compensated properly for these people. Because we're seeing right now with Wonder Woman, they're still not making as big of a return that they need to to recoup all the costs it took to make Wonder Woman 1984. And I don't know how many new subscribers they picked up. But even with them picking up new subscribers that wanted to watch 1984 at home instead of risking it at a movie theater, that's still not going to be enough to recoup all of the costs. And so they need to work out some kind of deal with these creatives uh, so that they could, you know, get the chunk of money that they deserve for making these movies. Um, especially when you have movies like Dune and Matrix 4 that. I, I'm going to say I, I suspected both of those movies to make a buttload of money. Um, I'm not as familiar with Dune as some others. Uh, I know it's a big, big movie, and like a lot of people are excited. I was excited because I had never gotten to experience the original. Or I think there's an original, and then there's a, also a remake, and they're both older, I believe. Uh, don't hold me to that. But I was also excited to experience Dune, especially with the cast they have uh, they I think they have Jason Momoa, they have Zendaya and I love Zendaya so I was very excited to experience that movie and now those movies will not make the same uh, we saw it with Tenet, Tenet did not make as much as it was projected to because of COVID so it would have just been nice that if Warner Brothers instead of being reactionary to all the hate they got for this move to have just you know been the bigger person been like hey what can we do to cut a check for you guys, so we can give this to more people. Because um, at the end of the day, yes, this was a business move. HBO Max was not doing well, which is a shame because it actually really is a great app. It has a lot of good content. Uh, shows like Lovecraft Country and Harley Quinn, uh, Doom Patrol, Titans. Like even though like the Titan show is iffy, but like there's a lot of content on there that is really good. And it so this was obviously a ploy to get more subscribers and boost their numbers on max and it's just a shame how they decided to play it out at the start um that being said that's really all i have to talk about the hbo max warner brothers uh 2021 stuff uh i'm going to be keeping my eye on it to see if there's any more uh developments i i believe they're also facing some legal issues from some of the companies they're partnered with that helped finance some of these movies. So there's de- this situation is definitely not over and I will definitely be revisiting it when new stuff uh, surfaces. But moving over from Warner Brothers, I want to head to the other giant conglomerate who owns a ton of different franchises. More specific, Star Wars and Marvel because Disney had an investor call last month but by, by now everybody should know all the things they uh, announced I'm not gonna spend too much time on it but I do want to hit on it because a lot of it is in my realm it's geek stuff it's Star Wars Marvel and so first and foremost the Star Wars stuff they announced uh, they announced they didn't announce this at the investor call because, Mandalorian Season 2 was not over, but it was revealed that the Book of Boba Fett was being made and coming out this uh, 2021 uh, holiday season. So, that's exciting. Um, If you haven't watched The Mandalorian or The Mandalorian Season 2, please do. Uh, It's so good. Boba Fett returns, and it it just returns my boy to his the badassery that we all thought he was when we first saw him show up in Empire Strikes Back. Uh, So yeah, Boba Fett is getting his own show. It's coming to Disney Plus uh, holiday 2021. So I'm excited for that. Um, They also announced a Rangers of the New Republic show for Disney Plus. Not really sure what that's supposed to be. Um, Really... What an investor call is, is just showing people who invest in Disney, like, hey, this is the stuff we have going down the line. Uh, This is what you're putting your money towards. And um, from what I understand too, is the general public, what we get to see is not everything. Some, like the investors who invest millions upon millions of dollars into this company will get to see a little bit more if they have it and so some of these things obviously they don't have much to show else aside from the title cards we did see but just keep that in mind that some of these people got to see more than we did Uh, moving on we also got an Ahsoka show announced by now you all know uh, she was in Mandalorian season two you know she's getting her own show but I want to talk about this specifically because I am a huge 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 Ahsoka fan I have been since day one. I think the character was perfectly written. I think she had she still to this day has the best arc in Star Wars from any for any character. And the fact that now she's getting her own show finally. And not only is she getting her own show, we know now that it is going to focus on uh this is spoilers for rebels in Clone Wars, but we know specifically it's going to focus on her search for Ezra Bridger and Thrawn. Uh, if you don't know who Thrawn is, he he is one of the best Star Wars villains to ever exist. There are a ton of expanded universe novels. There's other novels on him. I highly, highly recommend going to read those if you are a fan of Thrawn and haven't already. Um, but yeah, Ahsoka getting her own show. It's gonna be a live action. So. It's not going to be Ashley Eckstein doing the voice. Um, It is Rosario Dawson, which is fine because I think Rosario Dawson killed it. Um, I don't think there's many instances of a character first being animated and getting brought into live action, played by someone else, and actually doing well. This was one of those instances where I really do do not mind it. I think Rosario Dawson did fantastic in her role. Um, And I can't wait to see her play more of Ahsoka... In her own show, I'm I, I'm just so excited! I can't wait. Uh, moving on, we also got some big news for the Obi Wan show. Uh, if you didn't know, Obi Wan's getting his own show. Uh, we got big news that Hayden Christensen was coming back to reply, reprise his role as Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader. Uh, they were very specific to say that which leads me to believe we we probably won't see Anakin in like the present day of the show but what I think is we might see flashbacks with Obi-Wan and Anakin um, which would be amazing. I really hope so. I hope we get like live action Clone Wars flashbacks and we get to see Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen in their like Clone Wars armor in live action. I think that would be really cool. I'm very excited for the Obi-Wan show. Um, I believe it's supposed to take place six or five or ten years after *Revenge of the Sith*. Um, let me look that up. Setting. So it's ten years after *Revenge of the Sith*, nine years before *New Hope*. So there's still a decent amount of time there for them to explore. Um, I, d- I believe that means. Darth Maul would have already died I'd, I'm not sure I get very confused where Rebels takes place and where like Darth Maul's death in Rebels takes place in the Star Wars timeline so somebody tweet at me and let me know um, but I believe that would mean we wouldn't get to see Obi-Wan's final confrontation with Darth Maul, which is fine. We we already have that. I don't honestly need to re see that. I've seen a lot of theories saying that we would. I don't think we need it. Uh, I think it's kind of pointless to waste time for this show on that when we we already have it and it was done beautifully. So, yeah. That being said, that's all I have to talk on the Star Wars content. I want to move into a little bit of Mandalorian because it is over. And I have some thoughts. I'm going to spoil this show. So if you have not watched season 2. Or season 1. Fast forward. Or go watch it. And come back. I mean you could honestly watch both season 1 and 2. In like 2 days. Like pick a weekend. Sit down Saturday, Sunday. Watch the Mandalorian season 1 and 2. I promise you. You won't regret it. Especially if you're already a Star Wars fan. So Mandalorian season 2. It picks up. And. Again, spoilers, picks up with Mando and uh, Baby Yoda, or as we know now, Grogu, uh, traveling around trying to look for a teacher for Grogu as he was tasked. Um, And one thing I will say that I kind of didn't like was the repetitive nature of how the story progressed. However, it makes sense for the overall show and what they're going for for it, um, but that kind of, all right, do one thing that progresses the story and then we do a side episode that kind of does, but not intertwine with the main plot. Um, so it it got very repetitive, but it wasn't to the point where it decreased the quality of the show. If that makes sense, um, I still enjoyed those side adventures it's just that repetitive nature does kind of start to dwindle a little bit uh that being said the payoff at the end of season two is so worth it it is absolutely 100 percent worth it um we'll get there the the highlights i want to point out about season two and i'm not going to stick too long on mando but uh, the highlights are obviously Bo-Katan making her live action debut. And I just want to say, if you're a Star Wars fan who said like, oh, Katie Sackhoff looks too young, she doesn't look old enough, Bo-Katan would be older, one, no, and two, some people just don't age. Like, it's, I mean, look at Keanu Reeves. But in all reality, like, Katie Sackhoff is only a few few years younger than Bo-Katan would be in The Mandalorian Season 2. So her being like cast wrong or whatever, like people are saying, that's just simply not true. If anything, it's the perfect casting because, one, she's already played that character, and she's played that character for years in animation. So, yes, of course she should be playing that character in live action. Um, and I think Katie Sackhoff absolutely killed it. I, I want to see her come back. I hope she comes back. I hope Season 3 is honestly a Mandalorian arc um, where Mando has to help bo take back Mandalore and stuff. Um, that's obviously what they're like leaning towards or they hinted at. So I hope that Season 3, or at least it progresses more in Season 3. Um, I don't think we'll see Grogu back in Season 3. I'm sorry, I'm jumping all over the place, but I don't think we'll see Grogu back. So I think we will see that Mandalore arc either really take off and finish by the end, or at least take off and propel us into season four. Um, And I think maybe the first half of season four could finish it out. Uh, But yeah, so Bo-Katan is my first highlight of the show. My second highlight is obviously Boba Fett, seeing him return, uh, we also did get the confirmation that was Boba Fett who fave, saved Finnick Chan on Tatooine gave her all these like cybernetic parts and so that was cool and just seeing Boba Fett seeing Tamara Morrison just play that role and do so well like the scene where he just beat motherfucking fucking stormtroopers with a gaffy stick oh it it was just it made me feel the same way I felt watching both the sequel or, or not sequels, the prequels and the prequels when I was a kid. The first time I ever watched those films, it made me feel that again, and so that was that was great. Um, the third thing is, uh, or the final and third thing that really, or I guess not th- final. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm all over the fucking place. This podcast's awful. Um, another thing is. Luke Skywalker, um, seeing... it Was the CGI lost body? Yes. But are we ever going to get out of that weird, uncanny valley that we are in? No. Um, Especially when you see them talk. The the Mouth... um, New rock stars, uh, Eric Voss, uh, follow them on YouTube and follow him on Twitter. But he did an excellent job explaining, like, because there's so many different little movements and like creases within the mouth, you will never there will probably never be a time that we will be able to animate that and make it look real. And so there will always be that like just uncanny valley sitting there in the back of our head where we're like, that doesn't look right. But regardless, it looked fine. Um it served its purpose. And um another thing I wanna shout out Eric Voss for doing is in his breakdown, he shows you how um, they do a really good thing of they don't show you Luke's face until he gets into the room and that's their way to make it so it's easier as a viewer to um, kind of <laughs> you don't feel as weird when you first see his face um, because you just saw all this action and Luke being a complete badass which by the way I love people on Twitter who were putting up Rogue One's Darth Vader sequence with Luke Skywalker's sequence in Mando because, like, it just really just points out all the parallels between the two. Like, that is really a father and son moment, and it's it just, it, <laughs> it, it warms my heart seeing that kind of stuff. So, that was great um, getting to see Luke be Luke again. Um, as, as much as I liked The Last Jedi, it, it, it was just nice seeing Luke get to be that badass self again. Um, now my final real favorite thing about Season 2 was obviously getting to see the live-action introduction of Ahsoka Tano. Played by Rosario Dawson. I love Rosario Dawson. I think she's a fantastic actress in anything she does. And getting her to, or seeing her portray one of my favorite characters was just phenomenal Um, I had been fan casting her as many people in the Star Wars fandom have for years now and so just finally seeing that come to fruition is great Um, uh, another shout out to New Rockstars they actually I didn't see this in the show and I actually thought this while watching the episode but you can see the owl Uh, I think it's Morgai or something, Ahsoka, Tano, Owl, Morai. Her owl, Morai. You can. He, they are. That owl is actually in the show. Um, so yeah, if you if you want to know exactly where, you can go watch the new York, new Rockstars video and they'll point it out to you. But yeah, so Morai was in there. I was even thinking that when the episode aired, I was like, did they? Because it was written and directed by Dave Filoni, who co-created Ahsoka, but I was like, did they not put in a Morai reference? Like I was like, surely they they would have at some point, even if it's like brief or at the end, and they just like pan upwards and you see Morai fly above. Like it's like it's weird to not have the owl in there, but no, it is. Um, so that was cool, and then. That episode in particular is my favorite, not only for Ahsoka, but one thing um, I want to point out, and I didn't see a lot of people pointing this out, and when I watched it with one of my friends, I even said this to him, I was like, the parallel of Ahsoka fighting the one chick, I don't remember her name, but Ahsoka fighting her in that little like chamber area is very like Japanese inspired film like that is a they, they shot that and choreographed that like old Japanese samurai films and then outside where it's dusty and like the ground isn't cement it's just fucking dirt in these old houses and buildings you have Mando facing somebody in an old spaghetti style western duel and like the two parallels of those scenes and George Lucas going on record multiple times to say, those were the two genres that really inspired him when it came to star Wars just was so fantastic. And this is the reason why I think Lucas films needs to keep paying Dave Filoni to make these projects like him and people like John Favreau, just, they need to stay on the payroll because of things like that. Um, so yeah Mandalorian season 2 was fantastic I loved every fucking minute of it um, I have my gripes but for the most part those gripes are small or they're easy to look past and I can just focus on what I loved so yeah uh, before we head into the moral stuff I gotta get some water cause this, this talking is <sighs> so heading into the marvel stuff that disney announced during their investor call uh they they talked a little bit about wandavision which as of recording this is out on friday um this is probably they're going to go up late tonight or tomorrow so depending on when you listen it's coming out on two days or it's already out um They talked about Winter Soldier, which is only going to be six episodes, and I believe they said between four, I believe they've revealed by now it's between 40 and 50 minute episodes, and that's actually out in March, and the cool thing is, is that we don't have much time to, like, process after WandaVision to get to Falcon and Winter Soldier, like, there's not much time to wait, which is going to be nice, because we, we didn't have any Marvel last year. And the last Marvel like MCU project we had was Far From Home in 2019. And that was all the way in July. So it's been quite a while for since any MCU stuff. And the first one we get is WandaVision. Which just looks batshit crazy. And I can't wait. Um, they also finally confirmed... Haley Steinfeld is playing Kate Bishop in Hawkeye, which makes me very excited because I'm a huge Haley Steinfeld fan. I think she's a terrific actress, and I can't wait for her to play the role. Obviously, before this news was even announced, we all knew this was the case because a bunch of, uh, bunch of set photos came out with her in costume. It was just nice to see that they finally confirmed everything. Uh, we found out that that Nick Fury show... That was announced back in October, I believe, for Disney Plus is actually a Secret Invasion show, which Kevin Feige has said will be bigger in scale than Civil War was, um, I believe. That, or he was saying something else. Maybe he was referencing the comics in his statement. I don't know. I could have misinterpreted what he said, but we are getting a Secret Invasion show, which is which is exciting. For those who don't know secret invasion takes place because a group of scrolls those are the green shape-shifting guys from captain marvel they invade all different walks of life on earth it's this whole big storyline um there's what are known as super Skrulls who can not only uh shape-shift into people but if they shape shift into the human torch they now have they can uh, mimic the human torch's abilities It's a very interesting storyline. Can't wait for that. That's super exciting news. Um, Loki, they dropped another Loki. I think they dropped a Loki trailer during it, or it was sometime after. But we also heard news about Loki. Uh, They confirmed that there's going to be an Ironheart show. For those who don't know, that's Riri Williams. Um, So that's exciting. She's this... um, I think she's an MIT student or something who builds her own... I know she builds her own Iron Man suit and stuff. So, super exciting for that. They're doing an Armor Wars show. It's gonna have um, Rhodey in it taking the main lead. It's said that he's, like, hunting down Tony's old tech that gets in the wrong hands, which, like, it sounds cool, but at the same time, like it wasn't that every single Iron Man film or really just every single MCU film. So interesting move, whatever I'm here for. It's, it's Marvel. Um, and they, Kevin Feige officially said the words fantastic Four, Marvel's first family is coming. It's also being directed by John Watts. If you don't know, that's who's been doing the recent Spider-Man movies. Um, And I think he's killed it with those. I think he's the perfect person to do a Fantastic Four movie. And that has me so excited. The only way I think they could have made their investor call better is if they also would have been like, also, here's the X-Men. But I don't think we'll see the X-Men for some some time. Uh, I think Fantastic Four even is pretty far away. I would say probably 2024 at the least. Um, and that's that's if they start production like next year, I think um, or not next year, but um, yeah, start it like next like late 2022 into 2023. So and I don't know. I don't think I don't think we'll see them that soon. Uh, I think I think if anything, we'll see Mahershala Ali play blade before we actually do see the Fantastic Four but it is nice that unless maybe, maybe not. Cause I don't know if blade has a director or a writer, so we'll actually probably see fantastic four before blade. But, uh, I wouldn't expect fantastic four until like late 2023, early 2024. Uh, I feel like if anything, they will put fantastic four as a summer film or a holiday release. Um, But that's really all I want to talk about on the Marvel side of the investor call because, like, there was a lot announced. Um, They announced more about the Miss Marvel TV show and so many others, but those were, like, the ones that I really wanted to hit on. Um, The Hawkeye show, having Haley Steinfeld as Kate Bishop excites me beyond belief um, because not only am I just... I'm just a Haley Steinfeld fan, but I was... I was saying way back in like 2018 that if they ever brought Kate Bishop in, it should be Haley Steinfeld. I'm sure there's other people that did it as well, but yeah, I've been saying for a very long time that if they ever bring Kate Bishop into the MCU, it should be Haley Steinfeld. Um, WandaVision is going to be nine episodes, if you haven't heard already. The first two do drop Friday, so it's not just one this Friday, it's two but after that, it will be single episode releases each Friday. Um, and again, uh, Loki will, or not Loki, Falcon War Soldier will only be six episodes, but those will be between like 40 and 50. WandaVision's between like uh, 20 and 30. So, but moving on, keeping it within Marvel, I want to talk about Spider-Man 3 because in all my notes, I have it as Spider-Man 3 is looking like Spider-Man 3. And if you don't understand that, you're probably too young to understand my joke. But back in the day, Sony made Spider-Man movies with Sam Raimi, who was known for a lot of horror films. Uh, his trilogy is now regarded as wonderful and people like praise it. I love the Sam Raimi films. I love Tobey Maguire. I think Tobey Maguire brought the perfect essence of Peter Parker, that nerdy... Um, nerdy kid who just gets overlooked or gets bullied constantly who's always down on on his luck and is just trying to make it in New York Um, one of the things I always applaud for the Sam Raimi films is he gave us all the glimpse at Peter in high school and then gave us the glimpse at young adult Peter which is where a lot of good Spider-Man stories do take place Um, but the problem is too and this also fell under uh, the Amazing Spider-Man films is I don't feel like we have we've ever had a good blend between Peter, showing Peter in high school to going to young adulthood I think it's always been kind of it's either felt too quick or too slow um, for the Raimi trilogy I think it was I think it was too quick um, And the Amazing Spider-Man movies I think it just felt I think honestly it wasn't that it was quick or slow. I think they just both felt quick now that I think about it. I think it just felt too quick to move into his adult early adulthood. Um, maybe that's me trying to get like more than just a trilogy out of these actors. Because I do think each actor has brought something great. Although, I Will Die on This Hill, Jake Johnson is still the best Peter Parker. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that means you, have, you probably haven't watched Spider-Verse. And if you haven't watched Spider-Verse... Uh, what are you doing? Turn off this podcast, go watch it, and come back. Um, but, that being said, Spider-Man 3, or Spider-Man Homecoming 3, as uh, Kevin Feige revealed they call it internally, has had some some big, massive rumors come out. Some things have been confirmed, um, as far as I can tell, but there are more rumors than actual confirmations. Uh, the two confirmations are... Jamie Foxx is returning as Electro. However, he won't be his blue Electro that he played in the Amazing Spider-Man movies. And uh, Doc Ock, what's his name? Let me look up Spider-Man 2. But Doc Ock, the person who played Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2, is returning. I can't believe I forgot his name. I'm going to get roasted. Um, Alfred Molina, who played Doc Ock in Spider-Man 2 during the Raimi trilogy. Uh, Will be reprising his role as Doc Ock. Uh, the rumors include. Uh, to- Tobey Maguire is in talks to reprise his role. I saw I saw an article either like Monday or late last week that said um, talks have moved forward now that Sony is prepared to give him more money to return. Um, it's also been rumored that Andrew Garfield is set to reprise his role as Spider-Man from his films Uh, Emma Stone is in talks Uh, Kirsten Dunst is in talks and just they're saying even Charlie Cox is rumored to reprise his role as Daredevil we know Doctor Strange is in this movie Um, so like even with the Doctor Strange stuff before all these rumors started to happen I suspected something uh, mystical, magical with Doctor Strange was gonna happen, um, but this scares me. All these announcements, all these things, people are like, "Oh my God, this is about to be the best movie ever!" And blah blah blah, this that and the third. But it scares me for the fact of one of the reasons both Amazing Spider-Man two and Spider-Man three do not did not get received well was because it had too many characters. And too many plot threads that overshadowed the main character. Um, and one of the problems I have also is... Everybody's getting excited about this because... Maybe they're a Tobey Maguire stan and they think he's the best. Or maybe they think Andrew Garfield was the best. And so he's getting his uh, another shot at playing Spider-Man. And people say they don't like Tom Holland because he's Iron Man Jr. And all this. But... The problem is, is now that Iron Man's gone, we saw last, in the last movie what that did to him, and we saw him start to learn how to be his own hero, which is great, especially for the Spider-Man character. Like, he's supposed to be his own character. He's supposed to be him. He's not He's not an Iron Man junior. He's not a little Reed Richards. He's none of that. He is Peter Parker. He is Spider-Man, and one of the things I hoped when Spider-Man Three was finally confirmed and said to be in the works, was okay. Now we can focus on Peter Parker and like we can focus on him and really flesh him out. Um, and so yeah, I and it worries me with Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, and Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone and all these people returning and rumored that Tom Holland's not gonna get his chance to shine. As his f- version of Peter. And that makes me sad. Because I, I wanted that. I wanted to finally see him be the Spider-Man. That I I saw him being when he showed up in Civil War. And in his first outing. And now I don't think I'm going to get that. And it's, it, it terrifies me. And it sucks. And so if these rumors are true. If all these people are returning for this movie. The one thing that Sony and Marvel need to do is this needs to be Peter's story. Peter is your main character. Tom Holland's Peter. He's your main character. He's your sole focus. Um, One of the reasons Spider-Verse works and it doesn't feel like there's no main character and characters constantly are falling by the wayside is the fact that from the very start and from to the very end, that was Miles' story. And Miles was our focal point. We just had this supporting cast. We had um, Gwen Stacy, Peter Parker, Spider Ham, Spider Man Noir, and Penny Parker. And they were supporting characters for Miles. But Miles it was Miles' story. It was about him becoming his own piece or his own Spider Man. And that's what they need to make Spider Man three. Or Spider-Man Homecoming 3. Whatever it's going to be called. And I think one good way to do that is we pick up with Peter Parker swinging through New York after the events of Far From Home. Like We pick up literally within seconds after that happening. And Peter races through the streets of New York. And he's trying to think of where he can go to hide and he's scared about going home because people might figure out where he is and you'll try to rush his home. He can't go to his school. He, like He's trying to think of all the places he might be able to go to stay safe, and one place he thinks of is, oh, um, there's a building on, I think it's, where? Hold on. Sanctum, Sanctorum location he's like oh there's a building on 177A Bleaker Street uh, and he heads over to the Sanctum Satorum and we meet with Doctor Strange and he gets roped in to this multiverse like conundrum and maybe because he's Spider-Man when he gets pulled into the multiverse instead of just going to the straight multiverse we are introduced to the um, web of it's des- it's, damn it. Hold on, I can't remember what it's called. Um, I don't remember what it's called. There's a there's an actual word for it in comics where all the like spider people are connected and intertwined. Anyways, he gets pulled into that. Um, it's and now he's multiverse hopping, going to these different universes. Doctor Strange is trying to chase him down. Maybe he does eventually get him before they go back to their universe. But for the most of it, it's Doctor Strange trying to chase him down while he's hopping to different multiverses. And two of the universes he goes to are Raimi's Rammy's universe and the to- or the uh, Andrew Garfield universe and he learns from both of them what it truly means to be a hero and what it means to be not only spider-man but what it means to be peter parker and part of what connects all of them um, they they have one thing that connects all of them, and that is uncle ben um, the reason marvel or the mcu has not touched on uncle ben is because we saw it both in Spider-Man, in the Raimi trilogy, and in the Andrew Garfield movies, and Marvel just, they were like, you know what, people understand it, they didn't want to pull a Batman, where every single time, we have a new Batman, we see his origin, they were like, no, like, people don't want to see that, they know this character, they know what's going on, we don't need to touch on that again, Um, they've gotten a lot of flack, because Uncle Ben is a very important part, to his character, but, now i think is the perfect time to touch on uncle ben and especially if you're gonna have these other two actors in there playing their respected roles you can have that be the thing that connects all three of them and maybe now since he since tom Holland's spider-man has been falling through the multiverse like this he has clashed other universes together and now you have people like uh Electro and Dr. Ock and all these others teaming up or just maybe even honestly I think you really could just do Doc Ock and Electro being the ones to team up and now uh, now these three have to come together. Peter not only has to learn his lesson but uh, he also has to help these two as they all try to clean up this mess and go home. And if the rumors about Charlie Cox are true, when he goes back home, he's sitting there in court, doesn't have a lawyer, until Charlie Cox shows up and tells him to be quiet or shut up, I think is the line. So that would be cool. Uh, I I doubt it would even go that way. I think the Charlie Cox rumor is really far-fetched. I think it's more likely we could just get the two Spider-Men we could see Kirsten Dunst, MJ, in possibly Emma Stone's uh, Gwen Stacy. I doubt it, just because I think I think Emma Stone's pregnant right now, so there could be some problems with that. But uh, yeah, I think I think those two are more likely. I doubt Charlie Cox is in it. If anything, it'd make more sense for Charlie Cox to reprise his role in the She-Hulk TV series for Disney Plus. But yeah, those are my thoughts on Spider-Man 3. I want it to be good. I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, so like I don't want to see anything Spider-Man related fail. But everything I've heard does very much scare me about this movie. Uh, but honestly, we don't have long to wait. It comes out December 18th, I believe. Let me look that up. I believe it's December 18th of 2021. It. I'm not finding it, but it's December of 2021, so we don't have long to wait to see. Uh, I hope that we get a trailer, probably May, whenever Black Widow finally drops, whether that's on Disney Plus for a premium price or just in theaters. I do believe we'll get to see it sometime around then, uh, at least a small teaser of it, and then we'll probably see a bigger, um, better trailer around like when comic-con usually is so yeah those are my thoughts on Spider-Man 3 and that's really all i have for my film and tv news uh we are already like 46 minutes in and i still got gaming news and the two reviews so what we might do is i might bust through this gaming news because a lot of it i just a lot of it's not as important um There's a couple things on here I will take some time to talk about, especially this stuff around cyberpunk, but uh, for the most part, I'm just going to bulldoze through this gaming news. Uh, First up, Oscar Isaac, uh, better known as Poe Dameron from the Star Wars sequel trilogy, um, who's, if you don't know, Oscar Isaac's actually a fantastic actor. I don't think you get to really see his acting chops as Poe in the sequel trilogy, but he really is a great actor. Uh, he's gonna be in the upcoming dune film but uh, he was cast as snake in a Metal Gear Solid film uh, I'm gonna be honest don't really have high hopes for this just because video game movies all suck even my favorite franchise which is Assassin's Creed has a shitty game video game movie that like I'll still put on time from time because it's Assassin's Creed but yeah it's not a good movie uh, but kind of tying back to Marvel stuff and I debate, where i should put this on my notes but he was also announced or at least i saw he was officially announced as moon knight in the disney plus series so yeah that's exciting i think that's perfect casting for the character and i just oh it's cool to finally have someone like oscar isaac in the mcu but moving on to this 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 one i found pretty interesting is PS Five Pro. This is this is pretty old. I want to say this was at like early December when this all started, but I remember getting on Twitter one morning and the words PS Five Pro were trending, and I was like, Oh Lord, here we go. Uh, essentially, this all stemmed from PlayStation filing a patent for a console that has dual GPUs. And I just one these these next gen consoles. I was unfortunate. Uh, I was unfortunate in my trying to snag one. But these next next gen consoles are are really just glorified PCs at this point. Um, and I'm sorry if if you're gonna snag a PS Five Pro that has dual GPUs, just build a PC. Um, just snag if you want to play those PS5 exclusives just snag a cheaper PS5 for that but like especially since this is probably going to be something like the PS5 with the dish tray already costs fucking $500 what is this one going to cost like 6? 7? maybe maybe the maybe they do 2 PS5 pros one with the dish tray one without and the one without is 600 the one with is 700 like, take that 700 bucks, build a PC. Like, I, I just, especially since there's a new line of the, there's the 3080 series now. GPUs are going to go down in price. So, yeah, this kind of just frustrates me that we're already having this conversation about a PS5 Pro. Um, as far as I know, PlayStation still hasn't really talked anything about, like, this patent. So, we'll have to wait and see. But, I'm going to be honest, this is just frustrating. Like, <laughs> I feel like we're just inching closer towards a future where console, these console manufacturer manufacturers are just going to be like, look, we have um, a, what what is that? A modular console, which guys, a modular console is just a PC. <laughs> like you're just buying a PC with the PlayStation branding on it um but I feel like we're just ever so closer to that future and I I I hope to god we're not I really hope to god that this is just for something else maybe it's an early patent for a PS6 maybe maybe they're just jumping on it 7 years uh quicker so yeah that that was a thing that happened late last year and uh before I move on to the Game Awards stuff because I want to talk about the Game Awards I'm going to talk about this Cyberpunk 2077 mess Uh, by now all you know all of you should know Cyberpunk 2077 finally came out it released on PS4 Xbox One Xbox One X Xbox Series Xbox One S PS4 Pro uh, Xbox Series X Xbox Series S PS5, and PC. Oh, and Google Stadia, which by the way, if you're worried about buying it on a base console and you like you don't have a beefy PC or you, were, you weren't you were fortunate enough to get a next gen console um, but want to play Cyberpunk still, I, I would recommend just getting it off Stadia. That's probably going to be your best bet. You're going to run it. I, I've heard the Stadia version honestly probably the best version of the game. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it finally released, and it released to to some pretty hard, pretty harsh things being said about it. And I I played it. I have a base PS4 model. I don't have a PS4 Pro. I don't have a PS5. I don't have that beefy of a PC. I I I honestly only have a 970 in my PC. I like it's not that beefy. Um, I did try to run it on this PC, which, oh boy, um, don't do. <laughs> I thought I was gonna fucking break my PC, but uh, so I I originally bought it on my PS4 because I didn't know if I should get it on my PC and try it. And it's rough. It's very very rough. Uh, I saw a lot of people saying, oh, I'm playing on a base PS4, I haven't had that many issues, and y'all just blowing this out of proportion. And that kind of frustrates me, because I think a lot of people need to realize, like, your singular experience does not speak for the majority. If a majority of people are saying that, like, this game is crashing all the time, it's got all these bugs, it's virtually unplayable, like, there's some merit to it um so like when i see like 20 people in the comments on a cd project red post about like uh cyberpunk and they're all saying like hey you need to fix this there's this bug this bug this bug i have a game breaking bug or my game keeps crashing it can't even play it for more than 30 minutes um and then that one person going oh you're all just being babies like That shit's annoying. It's dumb. It's fucking stupid. And you're just being ignorant. Um, I've also seen a lot of people. Making like. TikToks or just tweets. And like Facebook posts. About how. Oh. um, If you were one of the people. That bought Cyberpunk. On a base PS4. You're not allowed to talk about. How shitty. The port is for it. Which is such a psychotic and I'm going to emphasize this is a psychotic take because you cannot sit there and tell somebody who pre-ordered this game back and say uh, say they pre-ordered it, I don't remember exactly when pre-orders went live for cyberpunk, but say they pre-ordered it the day uh, pre-orders went live you cannot sit there and tell somebody that they are dumb or they have no right. To complain about a game that they've waited years for, never actually got to watch true footage of what it looked like. They were purposely misled by the higher ups at CD Projekt Red, so they could they they could cash in on more money. You cannot sit there and tell them their argument or their way of thinking is invalid because they should have known uh, the game that. Uh, the risk they were taking when they didn't I think now now that it's out we have seen it Um, I think if you if somebody does buy it and consciously makes that choice to buy it on a base PS4 or a Xbox One or even the Xbox One X or PS4 Pro I hear it runs better but it's still got major issues but I think now if like somebody makes a conscious decision to buy it on those you cannot sit there and tell them they have no reason or room to complain because that is, um, or sorry, I, I missed up my point. I think I was saying if they bought it consciously now after seeing it, um, you can tell them they don't have any room to complain because now they've seen it. They know what it looks like and they're still making that conscious decision to buy it, um. But that's why I think if you if you really want to play this game and you have you only have the base consoles, you don't have a PC or your PC is just not strong enough, and you can't uh, you can't upgrade right now, then get it on Stadia. Play it on Stadia. Enjoy it while you have it on Stadia, and maybe down the road you can get it on PC or you can get it on your PlayStation. But if you really need to play it right now and you. Or just you don't want to deal with all that. Play it on Stadia. Um, it's a it's a decent option. Um, I think I, I'd honestly be interested to know how many new users Stadia has gotten because of all this Cyberpunk mess. But uh, that's really it. That's all I wanted to harp on with Cyberpunk, because honestly, this is just upsetting to me. And I none none of this, none of my hate about this goes towards the developers because the developers have put their love like absolute love and time into this game like this was a passion project for them and for it to go this way just sucks um, really if anything it's the board of the board at CD project, Red it's the higher ups that are at fault here it's not, not the developers please Please, for the love of God, do not hate the developers for this, because it is not their fault. Uh, Before we move on to the game awards stuff, I am going to get some water because my throat is, oh boy, this talking, my oh my God! All right, game awards. Uh, Game awards happened again in 2020. Uh, I think they always happen on like December 7th or December 10th, something like that, they happen pretty early in December, and (laughs) they're always so interesting to watch nowadays, and honestly this year, I just, I had them on in the background while I was playing, I think I was playing Valhalla at the time, when I uh, had it on in the background, and I'm not going to lie, I wasn't that invested because once I saw how many categories The Last of Us 2 was up for I knew that they were more than likely going to sweep the game awards, they were up for let me bring the webpage up real quick so I can see exactly what they won Um, but yeah, so once I saw how many awards they were up for I kind of just figured they would sweep most of it, and that's really what happened. Uh, the game award, the, I'm not gonna lie, the game awards kind of lost some credibility this last year. Uh, Jeff Keighley's looking a little, looking a little sus. <laughs> that being said, don't get it wrong. I love Jeff Keighley. I think he's a great person. I think, I mean, I don't know him personally, but uh, I do. I do think he's he's done a lot for the gaming industry, and I think he's. I think the Game Awards is still a fun idea and concept, but I'm not going to lie. This motherfucker's lost some credibility. But that being said, I want to get into some of the points from it that really just hit me the wrong way. The first of which I want to talk about is the fact that Jedi, Jedi Fallen Order not only got robbed from awards in 2019... But it once again got robbed in 2020. Uh, If you don't know, these award shows, whether it's in gaming, movies, or music, they have cutoff times. Um, And if you put out a project that doesn't make, doesn't get in there before the cutoff, then uh, you cannot be nominated for anything. And so... That's kind of what happened with Jedi Fallen Order in 2019. I don't, and this is my problem is like, I I believe they put it like sometime early November. And if I remember correctly, it came out in early November. That maybe it didn't, but I still think it should have gotten nominated for something. When did Jedi Fallen Order come out? So it was November 15th. i I feel like that is a decent enough time for it to come out and there be time to get it a nomination for something at least uh it didn't it finally got nominated for something this year and it got nominated for i believe best action adventure Uh, i'm scrolling down right now best action game i believe no It did not So yes, it was Best Action Adventure, and this one really stung. So in Best Action Adventure, we had Spider-Man Miles Morales, Ghost of Tsushima, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Ori, Will of the Wisp, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, and The Last of Us 2. And The Last of Us 2 took that award. And I'm sorry, but when you're up against these games, I haven't played Ori, either of the Ori games, I, I know I should... Um, I really want to. They look beautiful. I've heard so many amazing things. But, like, when you're up against games like Miles Morales, Ghost of Tsushima, Valhalla, and Fallen Order, and even Ori, like, I don't feel like Last of Us really deserves an action adventure award. Uh, that, especially between. Especially with uh, Jedi Fallen Order, where the combat is so nice, it's so fluid and. I just feel like such a badass Jedi when I play it, and the fact that it got fucking snubbed again at the Game Awards because of Last of Us Part Two just infuriates me. Like I, I actually get angry thinking about it, and so that kind of that rubbed me the wrong way. Um, another thing that was cool to see was, and Last of Us couldn't take this one, would a i can't talk last of us couldn't have taken this away from uh this game because you know there's no multiplayer in last of us if it did i'd really start to question the game awards but uh among us won best mobile and best multiplayer game which makes 100 percent sense like the game came out in 2018 and just boom ramped into popularity at the end of 2020 like in september and I think like it absolutely deserved it. I don't think there was really any question. Um, what games was it up against? Let's see. So in best mobile game, it was up against Call of Duty Mobile, which is a good game, but I don't think a lot of people are still playing it. It was up against Genshin Impact, which also rose up this year, but I don't think it ever grew past Among Us. Legends of Runeterra. And Pokemon Cafe Mix, yeah, like those last two. No, um, Genshin. I think the only one in here that could be like have a case made for it is Genshin. But like I said, I don't think Genshin really rose past Among Us at any point. Uh, where's best multiplayer in here? Ch-ch-ch. I don't know. Um, I'm done looking for it, though. I'm not spending too much time on Game Awards because this whole thing is fucking frustrating. Um, so, Last of Us was up against Ghost of Shushi- uh, Tsushima in a couple categories. Uh, Game of the Year, Best Action, uh, I believe Best Narrative. The voice actor for Jin Sakai was up against both Ellie and Abby. Laura Bailey and who else? Who voices? What's her name? That voices Ellie, Ashley Johnson. Who like don't get me wrong. As much as I hate The Last of Us and I will I will con- consistently shit on The Last of Us Part Two, just to make fanboys pissed off. I think Ashley Johnson and Laura Bailey both did fantastic jobs. Um, also shout out to Laura Bailey. She voices. I know the Avengers game isn't like it. It's a shit game, but uh. She voices Black Widow in that, and Black Widow, she nice in that game. Not gonna lie, uh, but I do think both of them did fantastic. I just, I think when it comes to best voice acting, I gotta give it to my boy Jin Sakai. I think the voice actor for that. I'd, I'd honestly wouldn't even be mad if they would have given it to Miles Morales himself. Like, both of those people did fantastic jobs, and I just, I'm sorry. I don't like Last of Us and the fact that it swept so many categories really pisses me off. Uh, the one award I will say I was not mad to see was Best Audio Design. Uh, I think I think it absolutely deserved that. Uh, Last of Us 2 has some of the best audio design I've ever heard in a game. Um, it was up against Doom Half-Life. Half-Life Alex, Ghost of Tsushima, Resident Evil 3 Remake, and yeah, it took it, and I'm not mad at that, uh, I think, I I haven't played Resident Evil 3's remake, I honestly never beat Resident Evil 2's remake, uh, as much as I love Ghost of Tsushima, I, I don't think I would have given it to it, and then I didn't play Doom Eternal, or and I don't have VR, so, I only played two games on here, and honestly, I don't think I'd give it. ghost so i think last of us 2 absolutely deserve this in my opinion um it also won what else did it win it won innovation and accessibility i don't know i've heard apparently you can play this game blind and have a fantastic experience i don't know about that um laura bailey as i mentioned won best voice acting Uh, i think abby i think she did fine as abby as much as i just i didn't honestly if anything it was just more i didn't care about abby and i i think i went into why i don't really care about abby as a character in that game in my review but uh yeah so she won and the last two awards it took home were obviously it took game of the year as we all know now which i'm sorry i'm gonna say it again Ghost of Tsushima got robbed. Uh, I think Ghost of Ishi- Ghost of Tsushima was such a better game, not just not just gameplay wise, but narratively, it was a better and well put together story than Last of Us Two was. And it just it makes me mad that a game like that got snubbed because, um, you could tell Sucker Punch made a labor of love, like they that team that made Ghost of Tsushima just put their fucking blood, sweat, and tears in that game, and they just put all their passion and love into it. And you can really feel that. Um, I've heard Hades is good. I've heard, I mean, I played Animal Crossing and that was good. I wouldn't give it Game of the Year. I've heard amazing things about both Doom Eternal and Fanta- or Fantastic uh, Final Fantasy sevens remake. And I'm sorry, Last of Us 2's story isn't good. It's just not, uh, it makes a lot of really terrible decisions with how it tells its story. So, yeah. Um, And then the final award, it got Best Game Direction, which, no. (laughs) What? No. Uh, Let me read real quick what that means. So, Best Game Direction, awarded for Outstanding Creative Vision and Innovation in Game Direction and Design. Yeah, no um, even I haven't played Hades yet for myself I want to I want to get it uh, coming up very soon I might stream it even uh, but like even from the gameplay I've seen of that I think that deserves it more than last of us two from what I've seen of Final Fantasy 7 remake it deserves it more and even half-life Alex like half like half-life Alex really got robbed of the game awards um, and yeah I just and the, the thing that pisses me off even more, every time they showed uh, the dude, the director for Last of Us 2, like, they showed his face when they announced they won. Dude, this man looks so surprised. Like, he was like, wait, what? what? We, we, we won? We won an award? <laughs> so, like, the, the fucking naughty dog didn't even think they'd win awards. But, yeah. All right. Uh. Ghost of Tsushima did win one award at least. They they won best art direction, so I, they got something, I guess. But I'm I'm tired of talking about Last of Us Two in the Game Awards. Fuck them. Fuck the Game Awards. <laughs> but uh, we we're sitting about an hour into this podcast. I still have two reviews, which means I will probably save my Spider Man Miles Morales review and do two reviews on that Ghost of Tsushima episode. So keep a lookout for that. But I, I want to talk about this Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Uh, because I beat it so recently, that's why I decided to talk about this first. And also, I'm a huge Assassin's Creed fan. I, I've played all of them, main, mainly all of them in like the mainline. Uh, I haven't played a couple like spin-offs, but like I, I don't really care about those to be honest. Um, But I have been playing Assassin's Creed since I want to, I I started playing the year it came out, but I didn't really get into the franchise until I think it was the year after Brotherhood came out. Um, I started playing Assassin's Creed 2 finally and got Brotherhood for my birthday that year from my father and so i had finally gotten to play assassin's creed 2 and finally got brotherhood and then a year later i believe or it was that year revelations got announced so that's kind of my background with this franchise um i love it i will always buy it um it's i always make the joke that like i'm very critical of the game industry and like when they do scummy shit i always say vote with your wallet Assassin's Creed, though, is one of those franchises where, like, no matter what I say, I know I'm going to be buying the next one because I'm a fucking crackhead with this shit. I need to know where the story is going. Um, That being said, I'm going to give you a spoiler warning right now. If you don't care about spoilers, continue on. If you do, pick up the game, beat it, come back, listen to this. But, yeah, that is your spoiler warning. That is your second, actually. Once again, spoilers for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Alright, now. Uh, Assassin's Creed had been on a steady decline, we all know this, since about Assassin's Creed 3. Uh, I had always said, after 3, when they killed Desmond, they, they just didn't know where they wanted to take the game. They didn't know where they wanted to take the present day, they didn't know where they wanted to take the past story they really just had no clue what to do and you can tell that with games like Black Flag and even Syndicate and even Unity Uh, I think Origins really helped to just reaffirm them and be like all right we're back on a set path we know what we're gonna do we know what the future is for this and a lot of that has to do with they finally gave us a new protagonist for present day Um, as little as you experience in present day in this universe i think it is it was very crucial you had a main character for present day like having someone like desmond there in present day made it worthwhile to see what's happening in present day rather than just making this game solely set in past um even though We barely get to experience something with Layla in both Odyssey and in Valhalla. Well, actually, I would say we get experience more with Layla in Odyssey than we do in Origins. Um, So, yeah, I think the two games that have the least amount of Layla were Origins and Valhalla. But there is very big stuff to happen with Layla in Valhalla. And so, that being said, um, I digress. Valhalla. Uh, I have some pros and cons, and then I have some story notes I'm gonna start with my cons first and get those out of the way and then we're gonna move on to the stuff I liked um first of all for first off, the game is way too fucking long like I don't know what Ubisoft was thinking with this game, but this shit is long and it's drawn out um so you play Eivor who is a viking from norway who you and your like adopted brother well you're adopted but um you and your brother sigurd leave your home in norway and go to england to like make a new settlement there called ravensthorpe and through this you also go throughout england making alliances with different places meeting a lot of interesting people which sounds cool in theory <laughs> but the way they the way they constructed the story to work is you have to complete each alliance before moving on and one of the reasons i know i had to do that was because i had two people beat it before me both of which told me, yeah, no, uh, I literally couldn't. Comp-. They were like, yeah, I literally didn't get any new story stuff until I finished my final alliance uh, saga, and that's how they break it down. Is each alliance is a saga, it's a story, and so <laughs> that fucking frustrated me because so many of these sagas that you do are boring. They're Absolutely fucking boring. The most of the characters are uninteresting. A lot of the sagas I did that I actually enjoy were very early on. Um, there was one I can't remember the town name, but there was one in the north where you meet you uh go meet with an old friend. That one was fun, like, but a lot of them were just I, I'm gonna. I'm going to be honest. A lot of them I just fucking ran through. There was a couple where I said this to a couple of friends of mine. Where I was like honestly the structure of this saga. Makes me th- like feel like I'm reliving a piece of Assassin's Creed 1. And the reason was you would go to the location. You would get information about the Order of Ancient member. That was there. And you'd like have to go figure out who these people are my problem was as as familiar as it felt to Assassin's Creed 1 which was kind of nice um, that going to a location, talking to someone who in Assassin's Creed 1 would be a mentor in the Order but this is just a like ally or soon to be allies or friend giving you information and then you going and searching for it throughout the uh, town uh, they were very short lived And it honestly just felt like it didn't fucking mean anything. Like, you didn't really have to search. Uh, It felt like a half-assed way to make it feel like Assassin's Creed 1 uh, mission structure. So, as cool as it was for that, it was also very much a letdown. Because I was like, oh shit, this is kind of like Assassin's Creed 1. And then it just was over. And like, just fucking like that. It was over. And I was like, oh, that was boring. And... The, it happened once and I was like that was that was a cool saga I, I enjoyed that as kind of short as it was I still enjoyed it and then it happened again and again and again and I was like okay um, no now they're like each saga started to just feel the exact same as the next and I was like okay but why do I have to do all these like there's got to be a reason I'm doing these before I can continue the overall story. And part of the overall story is Sigurd believes he is descended from gods. Uh, you meet Folke, who... Fuck that bitch. I'm going to tell you right now. Fuck her. She's an evil fucking bitch. I hate Folke. Um, but she pretty much poisons his mind and takes his arm fills his head that he's descended from gods and he's meant for greater than this and blah 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 that all was a very interesting aspect to the story and once you rescue him from folke this that part of the story just fucking disappears for another like 60 hours and you just have to do all these sagas and once you finally get done with that last saga that it allows you to do, you have to uh, go finish the story stuff. And then it becomes interesting again. So, let me reiterate. You start out in Norway, go to England, start building these alliances. You get a lot of interesting story stuff with um, Eivor in England building these alliances. You also have two members of the Hidden Ones at your uh settlement well only one technically uh Bassim is the other one he kind of goes off for a little bit him and Sigurd go off for a little bit and then when Sigurd's captured he goes off for a little bit and then he's back until the end of the game and I'll get there um and so you <laughs> you have this very interesting hook until it just becomes dead and everything becomes mundane and boring and not a lot happens Um, I honestly just was like you know what I just want to know how my story ends with Sigurd so I'm just going to fucking run through the rest of these sagas I did and honestly I say it's fucking worth it uh, because that ending was was absolutely crazy Um, it's it's probably as crazy as what happens at the end of assassin's creed 3 with desmond's death and i just loved every minute and i was in complete as an assassin's creed fan i was just in complete fucking awe watching it all play out and part of it's just because sigurd takes you to this weird place in norway like first you get a very like nice moment where you and Sigurd go and see his father, and like, Sigurd apparently tells him like, "I'm greater than this," and blah blah blah. It's just a very nice moment, um, character moment. And Avor even has that like, Sigurd's father was kind of like, he he looked down a little bit on Avor because it's not his kid and her father, and yeah, there's a lot of character stuff there but like that moment when Sigurd goes back to face his father after they left in the middle of the night so long ago uh they just have a very nice like goodbye moment and so Sigurd takes you to another side of Norway where you you and him get off the long ship and trek up this hill of snow which let just fucking say Ubisoft, please never do that type of shit again. Cause that was boring as fuck. That shit reminded me like that made me think I was replaying the uh, intro to fucking Red Dead Redemption Two, going through the goddamn snow, and you're just sitting there holding your controller like. Ugh. Um. So he takes you there. You walk into, and I my. Me and my friend were in a Discord call. I was like, "Oh fuck! Oh fuck! Is he taking me to first Civ location? Oh god, yes, let's go!" And it was. Um, like I said, I'm a huge fan. I'm a nerd with this stuff. And uh, <laughs> we were going, going, we go in there, and he takes you to this machine, and you see a woman sitting up there. or says her name. Uh, I can't remember what it is though. But uh, you see her like hooked to this machine in the air and you walk past and there's a similar like half you only like see the top half of it but it's like that sphere shape that Desmond put his hand on in Assassin's Creed 3 so my first initial thought was god damn it not this shit again are they gonna kill Layla the same way they killed uh same way they killed Desmond, it's like this is not okay. And they go there, Sigurd activates the machine, and both Sigurd and Eivor two of the there's four arms, two of them attached to their backs and like lift them up in the air. Eivor wakes up and she's in Valhalla, and all of this is for SipTech. tech, like it's. Not actually real, it's a simulation. She's in the matrix now, and uh, she has like this Groundhog Day situation. Like, every morning she wakes up, they walk into the hall, the gates open, the horn, the battle horn cries, they run out, battle, and then it repeats. Um, and then she starts seeing flashes of her father, and eventually it eats at her. Sigurd tries to like he tries to make Eivor happy by creating a fake construct of her father, but she finds out it's fake, gets pissed off at him um and finally just wants to leave uh, Freya, the goddess Freya is there um and she she basically, Eivor basically has to break out of this matrix simulation she's in when she does, she gets Sigurd out they have a really nice moment. Uh, I bang Sigurd's wife. So he he kind of told me, like, hey, I know that. That's some, that's some fuck shit you did. And I was like, oh, sorry, bro. Uh, and the ending I got was Sigurd goes back with me, and we all live happily ever after in England. Um, but I will say, like, all of that, everything from... Going back after the last alliance, meeting Sigurd, him telling you it's time. Because ever since you rescue him, he just speaks in these weird, like, oh, my fate, my fate, or I'm not like you. And, like, he just speaks in this weird way, and he finally tells you, like, it's time, follow me, come with me, we're going back to Norway, and all this other shit. Like, all of that, even the character moment you get with Sigurd and Eivor is wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. It works 1,000%. But the, the mid-game stuff, the, the thing you have to do to get to that point is so slow. It's so awful. I just, I can't, I can't get over it. Um, and the, because if you don't know, you have to go to, you get to go to Asgard. And I was like, oh, dope. They did the Atlantis DLC in Assassin's Creed Odyssey for that DLC. DLC, And that shit was fun. Like, I love it. I was like, cool, it should be like that. No, Asgard is boring. It is the most boring thing I've ever done in a video game. I hate it. I hate it all the way. Uh, And so you do that stuff and i only did the first part of asgard there's supposed to be another spot you go but it's unimportant it's unrelated you don't have to do it to ki- like beat the game um there's also another alliance where you go to america and that stuff was cool because uh you meet some you meet some native americans in america and uh when I, when I found out it was America, I was like, oh, dope, this is it. This is where I go with America. It's kind of a letdown. Like, what you do there is kind of a letdown. It's very short-lived. Um, you, I believe I can, I can go back whenever, but, like, the story aspect of it is very short-lived. However, it sets up for the future of the franchise, but it's a future we've already seen. Because, and I do believe that that was Connors, or what? like that is Connor's tribe. The tribe Connor is bor- born in, I believe is the tribe Eivor met. And the reason I believe that is because the person Eivor is hunting down is not her father's killer or maybe it is her father's killer or it's like the son of her father's killer or something like that. Like there's a there's a deep personal connection to the person she's going there to kill. Um, but in doing so, she finds a apple of Eden that she gives to the natives there. And so I believe that is Connor's tribe. When they're speaking, they all speak in their native language and it very much sounds like Connor's tribe's native language. So that's what makes me believe that is his tribe. But so that was really cool. Um, but yeah. All that mid-game stuff to get to that end point is boring. It's, it's too long. I beat this game with 94 hours or something like that. I was, I was damn near 100 hours into the game before I could beat the main story. And like I said, like at the halfway point, I finally just decided to run through. So I was already at my halfway point by the time I was like, I'm not doing a lot of side stuff. I'm literally going to go from alliance to alliance to alliance so I can just beat this game. And I still put damn near a hundred hours into it before beating it, and that to me is just <sighs> so mundane because I don't feel like there's there's still quite a bit of endgame content there, but I don't know if it's enough to really make me want to put another hundred or another even like thirty to sixty hours in. So, yeah, um, another uh i kind of got off track with my cons but uh i'll try to go back to my cons um and another con i have is the writing isn't always sharp and not so much with the main story but like some of the side stuff the writing feels a bit off it feels questionable some of it's really good and like funny and like there are legit moments where i actually laughed but there's a lot of like side quests and content where i just the writing falls flat um the horse stamina was something i was very much against just adding stamina into it in general i was against stamina in combat's not too bad because as long as you make contact and you like you're hitting enemies your stamina will refill so like in combat it's not that big of a deal even the horse stamina wasn't as big of a deal. Um, it works like The Witcher, where if you stay on the main road, you won't waste horse stamina. It's when you go off. However, the shitty part about that is the fact that you're in England and there's so many like hills that are going up that are slowing down your horse. And so not only are you trying to run up it quickly, but you're wasting stamina more because not only you're going uphill but you're sprinting. So it did. It was annoying. Wasn't a complete deal breaker, especially since you can build a stable in your settlement, and when you go up to the stable, you can upgrade your horse stamina. You can make it so it can uh, swim. Uh, you can increase its speed, and so, and you can get all of those very early on, and that's what I did, and so it, it, it didn't become as a big of an issue. And then my final one was the Asgard stuff was just boring. It didn't <sighs> It it was real upsetting. I'm not going to lie. It was really upsetting. Um I kind of went and talked a little bit more. I'll talk a little bit more about the story after my pros cuz I got off my cons and talked the story. Uh the pros combat is fun. Like at first, it felt slow and sluggish and not as like uh, smooth as Odyssey did. But the more I upgraded, the more I played, the more it felt better and like more improved. And I just started to feel like a badass Viking by the end of my journey. So it's one of those things, like since they have moved deeper into an RPG game, it really does feel that way that the RPG elements do help make the combat feel better um, <clears throat> The I've said it again, the story is great when you're actually dealing with the story it's all that middle chunk stuff with the alliance building that sucks uh, the changes to the gear I have actually both in my pros and cons, and the reason I have it in both is Odyssey really lacked when it came to gear because there was an abundance there was too much gear in odyssey and it left you constantly getting better gear and never having to really upgrade your previous gear so i was constantly switching out gear and it just and especially when they implemented the thing so you could like change its cosmetic look i um I never cared what the gear looked like. As long as it was better. I would just go in and change the cosmetic look. To make it look like the thing I wanted it to. Make uh, Cassandra look more like an assassin. So like. I understood why they did what they did. But I think they need to still work on it. Because you barely find gear in this game. Uh, I I was like, all I want is a great sword. I want to try out the great sword in this game. And I finally, with 85 hours in the game, was like, I still haven't found a greatsword. I've literally only found three different bows, and two of which suck. Um, like, by that point, I had already upgraded one bow enough to where I was like, this bow's just fine. Like, this bow doesn't do much else for me. This one doesn't do much else for me. The only other bow i would occasionally switch to was the like uh hunter bow i believe it is the one that like you can shoot rapid fucking arrows but even then like i was like most of my gear i've already upgraded either all the way or enough to when i do find new gear there's no reason to switch Um, so the way they did it was okay because they decreased how much gear there was in the world which helped or which incentivized me to upgrade and keep gear longer. But they did it to the point where by the time I did find new gear, it wasn't there was no reason to use it. There was no reason to switch my great axe to a great sword. I only did it because I wanted to fight with a great sword. But even then I fought with it for a little bit and switched right back to my great axe because I needed to do more damage. So it it was a pro and a con to me. Um, those are really it. I don't, like, as I was typing it out, I was like, there's not a lot of pros, but there's also not a lot of cons. Valhalla feels very mid. It's not the best game of the franchise, but it's not the worst game of the franchise. It's just mid. It's It's another entry. It serves its purpose, and it serves it well, and it has a lot of issues. But there's also a lot of things to love about playing the game. Um, Heading back into the story. uh, That's really where Eivor and Sigurd's journey ends. I won't go too much on once they get back to Norway. I think that stuff I would rather somebody just play. Rather than listen to me talk about it. Because a lot of it is just more character stuff. Um, Once you are doing all this you also go back, once you finish all this, you go back into present day. And you see Layla with, I didn't even mention this, Shauna and Rebecca are back in this game, which Rebecca's, like, facial animation looks weird. Like, it it definitely, I, I, I expected it to look different because they've gone through multiple different engines since last seeing her. But... It just looked strange to me. It wasn't like a deal breaker. It just was weird to look at sometimes. But the three of them are talking about uh, everything. And essentially we learn that when Desmond saved the world from the solar flare in 2012, the device he activated has continually been building up energy since then. And it was going to... um, it was going to cause a destruction to the world. Um, I, I can't really go too much into the nuances of it all. They do like they obviously will do a better job in the game if you don't care. I would recommend watching it to like learn the true nuances of it. But essentially, the device he turned on had been building up energy since 2012. It was going to just finally fucking go nuclear in a way, I guess. And they, they, the device Eivor and Sigurd found was going to help, like, not turn it off, but help it so it could release energy. Um, so Layla goes there, and if you didn't play Odyssey or you didn't play the DLC to Odyssey, or, no, you didn't have to play the DLC to Odyssey, but if you didn't play Odyssey, you wouldn't know where Layla got, her staff from it's Hermes staff is what it is in Greek mythology but it's it gives the wielder immortality as long as they have the staff and so Cassandra actually shows up in Odyssey wearing like a suit in present day standing in front of Layla and hands off the staff to Layla and so she takes that with her so she can survive and she goes to the device and uh activates it to uh lower the energy levels and when she walks into the middle she looks up and Basim I forgot about this Basim betrays Evor and Sigurd um he is essentially a reincarnated Loki I guess um, that's the way I interpreted it. That or every time you go into that system, you're someone like you get a new look. I don't, know, I don't fucking know. Anyways, he he's essentially a reincarnated Loki, but like his love, the person he's in love with, is in the staff. So he betrays Eivor and Sigurd. Um, Eivor traps him with inside that machine. And so when Layla gets there, she looks up and sees him. His face is all like rotted and when she activates it she also activates the arm and it goes down, picks her up and she drops the staff and she is inside the like nexus I think is what they call it and she meets the like fate weavers that Eivor had seen in her visions and Fasim is talking to her and explains all this stuff. They have a big exposition moment. And um, he essentially reveals like he had been waiting for her to get out of here. And mentions the staff. And he says something to her and triggers her and she goes, oh shit. Because she realizes in that moment she dropped the staff and Basim had been there so long he now knew how to control it and manipulate it and manages to get himself free and when he falls he falls so he lands on the staff and it heals him and so now he's healed uh, we find out then that like somebody he loves is trapped within the staff like the voice that had been speaking because I think I don't think we had ever heard the staff actually speak to Layla but we... In Odyssey, she, like, mentions it. She feels like it's speaking to her. And so we find out, like, Bassim is in love with whoever is trapped within the staff. And his mission was to get to that staff so that he could free her. Um, so he tricks Layla to get the staff. And she explores more and finds... What, oh god, what do they call him? Sass, AC Valhalla, ending. Um, She meets somebody at the end. I'm trying to figure out what they call him. Um, Basically, she meets somebody at the end inside of there. And here it is. The reader. He's called the reader. And all we see is a silhouette of a man glowing bright. And he's in front of like this. Like it looks like a tree. And it's essentially parallel timelines of events that could happen or might happen. And when I tell you that I screeched like a happy little girl. I mean it because when I heard the reader speak I was like that that's Nolan North that's Desmond Miles um I was so happy to hear that Desmond technically wasn't dead and like he could be back in in this form and they actually mentioned Desmond's death in 2012, and from where it looks, he doesn't recognize that um, he used to be Desmond, like it sounds like whatever happened to him in Assassin's Creed 3 when he became the reader, um, he lost his memory of being Desmond. And so now this is the only life he knows. He just sits there and reads these multiple different timelines, these multiple different outcomes. Um, And that was just so cool to hear Nolan North's voice as Desmond. And I remember I had tweeted something. When I first started playing, I walked up to the computer in present day, and there's like audio files of like Desmond talking to I think he, there's one talking to Sean and Rebecca, or they're both talking to Sean. But I remember tweeting out, like, oh my God, it's so amazing to hear Nolan North voice Desmond reading or listening to these audio files in Valhalla. And Nolan North actually liked the tweet. But then to get to the end of the game and see, like, Nolan North actually had a part in the game again was. It, it just. It it made me so happy. And it this what happens at the end really just makes me wonder what they're doing going forward. Because when Origins came out and I finished it, I was like, okay, it seems like Ubisoft is finally back on some sort of track with these games. They have some sort of plan. And so it made me excited because I was like, where are they going to go? And now I'm even more like, where the fuck do you go from here? Because Layla has the chance to leave. But she wants to figure out and help the reader find a timeline where they don't have to come back to this machine to stop the energy buildup. Or no, that's not what it is. It's... They know a second solar flare is going to happen, even stronger. And this time, they don't think they are going to be able to—they're uh, going to be able to stop it. And so Layla stays behind to help the reader, A.K. Desmond, find a way to fix everything. And in talking about fixing everything, they mention Layla mentions going back to 2012 and saving Desmond. Now. I don't think we will see that play out. I think, I think Ubisoft was doing that in a sense of people are obviously going to talk about it, and that's why they said it. And they they honestly probably were just setting up just in case they decide to ever do something like that. I don't think that's actually like in the plan, but I do think it was just a fun callback because that is Desmond. Um, but yeah, we see. Basim leave, and he meets up with Sean and Rebecca. They go back to the location they were in in America. And, yeah, Basim is now in present day. He's now with the assassins. It They have a fun moment inside the cabin where, uh, <laughs> where Basim's like, so we're assassins, not hidden ones anymore. And do we still have mentors and all this stuff. Um, and when he asks about do we still have mentors who's ours, They say, William Miles. And Bassim goes, I would like to meet this William Miles. And they tell him they can pull him up on a video chat. And he goes, no, I want to talk to him face-to-face. So William Miles is coming back, which is cool. Um, Bassim being in present day is very interesting. I want to know. I'm just so interested to know where they're going to go from here. I can't wait for the next one. I don't think we're getting one this year. I think... We don't get another one until twenty twenty two, which is fine by me. I can wait another year. Um sounds like they have a pretty good content plan for Valhalla anyways, so I don't think we'll really need a sec a new Assassin's Creed this year, but yeah. Um, overall, I think Valhalla is a solid entry. I think it does a good job at um because of where it's placed in the timeline, I think it does a good job at Calling forward to previous games. I think it does forward at moving the story forward. Um, Gameplay is fun. The overall mission structure and just how the game plays out could have been done better. I don't think you should have. The alliances and building those alliances should not have been required to beat the game. Especially because I think it's only. Two of them are actually part of the story. Not all of them are part of the actual story. So, that was a bummer. The game is too long. Um, Ubisoft, please learn from this. Also, we don't need five fucking maps. I, I forgot to mention that. There are five maps in this game. Don't ever do that again. Please. Please, please, please. If somebody from Ubisoft as ever hears this, and I don't know why you would, because this podcast sucks, but <laughs> if you hear this, please never do five maps again. Um, never do this Alliance stuff again, where I have to beat all of them before I can progress. Um, it just, cause I honestly, most of them I ran through and just had no idea what I was, why I was there, what I was actually doing because I just didn't care. So yeah, overall, I think Valhalla is a fine pick, uh, fine thing or a fine game to play and pick up. Uh, I don't know if I could recommend it at 60 but because uh, I had 10 crashes in my hundred hours on this game I had 10 crashes altogether I experienced multiple frame rate drops I experienced uh, textures popping in not a lot a couple times though um, things were uh, glitching like through my hand and stuff Uh, things glitch through walls so like the game technically is not great it looks good but it's got a lot of issues technically as well Um, I think if you're going to pick this up I've heard the PC port is not great I feel like if you're going to pick this up either have a next-gen console or have even a previous-gen console Uh, I don't know if you should pick it up on PC though uh, if you know who the Black Okage is, he didn't uninstall because he had a game-breaking gludge. Ah, can't talk. Game-breaking bug in the first 20 minutes of his game. So, And he was playing on PC. So uh, I'd recommend picking this up, but maybe wait until the price drops down to like $40. Uh, let them try to iron out some of the technical issues with the game before get, like picking it up. There's so many other games to play, you can play Cyberpunk, you can play Immortals Phoenix Rising which, fantastic game, I'm in the middle of that right now uh, if you didn't play Final Fantasy 7 Remake, play that Like, there's tons of other games to play um, pick up Miles Morales if you have a PS4 or PS5 uh, but yeah I'd recommend picking this up when the price drops it's a good entry into the franchise, I think I'd still say Origins is the best one out of this new trilogy of the games. And then Odyssey. And then Valhalla. So it really just goes in order from when they were released for me. But yeah. That's all I have on my show notes. Like I said. Keep an eye out for that special episode. I'll do my Miles Morales and Ghost of Tsushima reviews on that episode. Um, and that's just because I'm almost at two hours on this game. Or on this podcast. I'm done talking. My throat dry. I need more water. Oh God. Oh. And if you have not already, subscribe to this podcast. It's on all major podcast outlets, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow me on Twitter for updates at Demented Gamer. You can also follow the official Demented Media Twitter. I don't tweet on that a lot, just because I stopped doing articles, but I probably will start as soon as more and more things start to happen, Uh, whether that's Twitch, YouTube. um, I'm trying to finish up my novel, I'm also trying to finish up my first ever script. So, as things start happening, I'll start tweeting on that one as well. But yeah, Demented Gamer on Twitter, Demented Media, follow me on Twitch, Demented Gamer. Uh, Pretty much all my socials are the same, so... That is it for episode 12 of Demented Cast. I hope to catch you guys on the next one. Peace.